Hi there, this is Robert Fleming, one of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. And I'm talking with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, one of the other partners. Uh, Elizabeth, can we talk about powers of attorney and, and limit ourselves, I think, to financial powers of attorney primarily for this session today? Sure, Robert. That's actually probably the most important estate planning document I think you can have. You know, I, I might arm wrestle with you and say the healthcare power of attorney might be more important, um, but it is a correct statement that the healthcare power of attorney in Arizona is not really required for family members to make health, most healthcare decisions. And so maybe, maybe you're right. The financial power of attorney is, for most people, certainly more important than their will. Um, and, and that's just a, a harsh reality. One of the reasons I want to talk about financial powers of attorney is because we got a call this week from a, not a client, from the son of a client. We prepared a power of attorney almost 20 years ago for this client, and, um, and the power of attorney has been functioning just fine. Everything's worked fine for two decades. And the son says he went to a bank, a different bank than he had been talking with before. And the bank was trying to find reasons why the power of attorney was not valid. And they came up with one. They decided that the power of attorney should have the notary's number, commission number, on the notarial block. And this one, 20 years ago, didn't have that. And, uh, and therefore, it was invalid. And of course, we scratch our heads and shake our heads and guess what bank it is, because the person didn't tell us, but we all know what bank it's going to be. And I probably won't impugn them in this podcast, but who knows? I might get I may get wild and crazy. Well, Robert, the laws change around notary blocks and stamps and sign and requirements for valid documents. So I'm going to wager a guess that one of the things that that bank is looking at is they're looking at the current law, and they weren't actually looking at the law when the document was originally signed. I would say that we get calls, emails, questions pretty frequently from our clients and sometimes a, a relative, a family member who may call and say, hey, I thought this financial power of attorney was going to be accepted, but they're, they're telling me that it's stale or you know, I'm not able to use it for some kind of reason. And we just always scratch our heads. I try not to pull out my hair. Um, it's frustrating because each financial institution are going to have their own process and procedure to review a financial power of attorney. They may or may not have a well-rounded legal department, and they may or may not have a banker, whether it's a teller or a branch manager, who's going to really advocate for the person who has an account. So time and time again, we see an agent may go into a bank, provide a valid financial power of attorney, and then have Mr. No-Name Banker deny it on its face without even submitting it to a legal department. That just makes me crazy, Robert, because in fact, they're really doing their client who may be incapacitated a disservice by not even considering the power of attorney for one reason or another. And so I think that's pretty lame that they wouldn't accept the durable financial power of attorney just on its face based on the notary block. Um, I'd also say that I think it's a tender area difficult to navigate when we do get calls from people who are not our client regarding something like a financial power of attorney. So Robert, in your example, 
there was a very, I'm sure, very well-meaning child who had been named as agent under the parent's financial power of attorney who called to let us know. And I think that call was kind of a call, an SOS call. What, what the hell do I do? And it's difficult for us in those situations, Robert, to engage with the agent because the agent's not our client. And, and that's something that we're a little bit maybe of an outlier among law firms. That's something that we've really taken to heart over the years, that we, we represent the person who signed the power of attorney. And while we might represent the son in preparing his power of attorney and his estate plan, we resist trying to represent him in connection with his actions as agent on his mom's power of attorney. And that's for the practical reason that if mom calls up and says, my son is misbehaving or uh, I don't know what's going on, we want to be very clear that we represent her and we have no conflict with, with making the son account or whatever is appropriate. Uh, sometimes that seems a little bit prissy of us, but uh, but we're insistent on maintaining that separation. And I think phone calls are difficult, Robert, because sometimes people call us when they're standing in front of the teller at the bank. I think in the in the scenario that played out earlier this week, one of the things that I wish had happened is I wish the person who was our client was able to get on the phone and say, Mr. Fleming, can you please speak to the dumb banker? Right. And of course... 20 years later, presumably the, his mother was no longer able to, to have that conversation. We haven't talked to her. We don't really know that. But that's probably why he's trying to use the power of attorney. And it's very telling that it worked in his report to us. It worked at several banks, but not this last bank. Um, and that goes back to what you said, Elizabeth, that, um, that the given day may get a different answer on, uh, on the same question. So one of our suggestions to him was, well, go back to the bank, try again. You're probably going to get a different person to talk to and insist that there's nothing wrong with the power of attorney and try to work up the the chain. From the banker's perspective, and by banker here, I mean the 22-year-old who who has been working at that bank for three months and uh, and has a book that they're supposed to refer to and has been terrified by the by the the sessions that they've gone to about the possibility of doing something wrong it's much easier for them to say no 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 this won't work here i found something on page 4 of my handbook that says that this is not valid than it is to figure it out and and uh, and go through the proper channels to determine what the bank's real policy is and it is also true that some banks real policy seems to be how can we not do anything? How can we refuse to honor anything? And it's and, and I just find that really offensive and troubling. We're all going to get older. I mean, in fact, we're getting older as we speak, Robert. And the fact that you know, we may be doing business with financial institutions who are not recognizing our needs as their clients, I find incredibly troubling. And so sometimes when I have people who come in and sit with me and we're doing estate planning, we're talking about the financial power of attorney, I will get the question, well, Elizabeth, my investment advisor is at, insert name of financial institution here, wherever the investment advisor is, and -and so-and-so custodies the assets, and they require their own financial power of attorney be completed. Should I complete that document? My answer oftentimes to people is, you know what, before you go down that road, please submit this document, 
submit the financial power of attorney that you've just signed in my office. If they don't take it, have them explain to you why. If there's some reason, some procedure, some protocol, something unique about their practice, and they require their own form, then make sure they explain to you that that's the case. Don't walk away thinking for some reason your perfectly effective financial power of attorney doesn't work. And I think that's what these institutions do. They really scare people and make people think that their documents are not effective when it's actually the institution's own asinine rules. Yeah, and they usually say, we're required by federal law. The correct answer to that is uh, baloney. I'm sorry. I was trying to think of the correct answer. Baloney. Uh, the federal law does not require the, the institutions to be jerks about, about honoring powers of attorney. And by the way, to go back to the original question here, is your power of attorney invalid because the notary doesn't put their certificate, their, their uh, commission number on? No. The law briefly required those commission numbers. It no longer requires the commission numbers, and it's pretty clear that it's not invalid just because the notary did something wrong, even if the notary did something wrong. So um, stop it. Actually, power of attorney doesn't even have to be notarized. There could be a n- no notary at all. This is just the bank being difficult to deal with and, and not for any good reason. Robert, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> I'm about <laughs> ready to tell you the name of my guess of the name of the bank, but I, I'm not there yet. I don't want people to get frustrated listening to us today. Just keep in mind that if you don't have a financial power of attorney, you definitely needed one yesterday, and it's important to do one. Do not download a form online to do a financial power of attorney because it may be missing some of the most important powers that your agent should have. And I think that that document is one of the most important documents you can have and is worth having a conversation with an attorney about to create. If you do have one and you're not sure if your bank's going to accept it, then you know what? Go walk in, make an appointment with a banker and ask them. And if they have problems or they have concerns and they don't like it, then have them call me. I'll let them know. I'll let them know what I think. And they're better off talking to you than me. Um, it's uh, it's also, I think, a good point. You talk about using the form from the financial institution. It's a good point that sometimes the path of least resistance is to just fill out and sign their form as well. Um, but if you're going to do that, please make sure that you at least name the same people as your agents so you don't have competing powers of attorney drifting around. Um, it's also, I think, probably a good idea. I, let's see if you agree with this, Elizabeth, to update your power of attorney not because the law has changed, not because they expire, not because there's any huge difference in your circumstance, but just because they probably are going to have a higher acceptance rate if they are more recent documents. I agree with that, Robert. And uh, that, of course, begs the question, if you have become incapacitated, how you can sign a new power of of attorney, but, but... while you're still competent, it's a good time to update your powers of attorney every few years. And if somebody has what we might call a stale financial power of attorney and an institution is um, being difficult about accepting it, one of the things that I'll often do is create an affidavit, Robert, and and attest to the fact that this is a document that was created in our office and that so-and-so is our client and do whatever I can to put my own stamp on things to encourage the financial institution to accept 
the valid financial power of attorney that our client created. It may have been 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So there are some things, tips and tricks that, that we can help with if somebody is incapacitated and does have an older financial power of attorney sitting out there. So here's the bottom line. Yes, your financial power of attorney, I'm prepared to concede this, is probably the most important document in your estate plan for most people. Uh, It needs to be thoughtfully prepared. It needs to be periodically reviewed and renewed. um, And you got to recognize that it will not be 100%. Somewhere out there is a banker or a stockbroker or an accountant or an IRS agent or somebody who's going to refuse to accept the power of attorney and it's going to continue to cause problems. And there's really nothing we can do to make it 100% uh, accepted um, uh, unless you're in one of those handful of states. Arizona isn't one that allows you to sue somebody who doesn't accept a power of attorney. Maybe that's what we need in Arizona. In the meantime, I'm Robert Fleming. I've been talking with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman We are two of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. We feel passionately about our clients, about powers of attorney, and about, um, well, you know what bank it is. We hope to talk to you next time, and who knows, maybe I'll let the name of the bank in question spill out in the next session. See you then.